how can I make these big decisions of where I work, where I live, who I go out with and not have to have a whole conundrum every single time. I realized it was like, okay, what is the most important thing to me? So that's how it all started. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does and make it happen. We help you define the work that is unapologetically you and then go get it. If you feel like you were meant for more and you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. I am a total nerd when it comes to anything that has to do with science for happiness and psychology. I've been studying career happiness specifically since the early 2000s. And it's one of the things that led me to start this podcast way back when. I think many of us suspect that happiness actually plays a huge role in what creates fulfilling work. But it turns out that we're really bad at figuring out what truly makes us happy. And we, we definitely talk about this in our book, Happen to Your Career, an unconventional approach to career change and meaningful work. But the main point that we make is that much of this happiness research has already been proven for humans. So if you can combine it with the specific knowledge about yourself, this combination allows you to figure out what creates fulfilling work for you. Pretty cool, right? Now, also during my research on career happiness, I discovered today's guest, which I've been a fan of for, oh my goodness, like approaching 10 years now, maybe even longer. I'm not even sure. And she's been coined the global workplace expert on happiness. But the question is, how did she get that way? That turn point, like that turning point for me was when I saw all these people suffering with the layoffs, with the 9-11, with my dad getting diagnosed with cancer. It's all like, wait, that's kind of crazy because I've been spending all this time trying to work, work, work and make myself established. I have a, a status for myself, but I'd actually rather be spending time with the people I love. That's Jen Lam. She's the author of Beyond Happiness and founder of the consulting firm Delivering Happiness, which is dedicated to building workplace cultures that thrive by demonstrating the profound impact happiness can have on every aspect of work. Jen's personal journey with researching happiness began in 2001 when she got laid off from her job and her dad was diagnosed with cancer. All will 9-11 and the global events that followed were occurring at the same time. After some internal reflection and lots of research on the science and psychology behind happiness, Jen's life was forever changed when she realized people can be intentionally happy. Okay, so her findings led her to work as a consultant with Tony Shea, the former CEO at Zappos, who she partnered with to co-found the consulting firm Delivering Happiness. But I want you to, I want you to listen to Jen. She's going to talk about some of her personal struggles with happiness, but also how her research and her work in intentional happiness has not only changed her life, but also how she's taken her ideas and turned them into practical frameworks, actions, behaviors that companies and employees can use to boost career happiness. Just kind of paint this picture of this journey of like, and you've, I don't know if you read the book or just seen the book or whatever, but one of the things that we talk about is the highs and lows of life and the heartbeats of our life. 
So for me, sort of selfishly, <laughs> was when I was down and out and like I was 28, 29 and like a whole trifecta happened to me. I got laid off from my job. 9-11 happened. My father got colon cancer, diagnosed with colon cancer. So all this was like, wait, what the, what is going on? Like yeah. I was making good money, dot-com days, right? Flying high. I was like, oh, even though I majored in uh, Asian American studies, I'm able to tell my mom and dad, don't worry, I got it. And of course everything fell. <laughs> so for me, that was a huge sort of awakening point of, wait, what does this matter again? So super existential questions that I think COVID actually in the last 2020 of last one and a half years brought back to our lives. So at that moment, I just went look inward because all the things that I thought were important, which was at that time, you know, I was like getting out of school and all that money title status was like, I need to make that happen. And then I got it. And then it was like, wait, it's gone. And I still feel nothing more meaningful than before. So it was a selfish sort of like, inward look of, well, what is meaningful? And so before I got to that organizational stage, I had to do that hard reflection within myself. And then understanding that, oh, purpose. And this was the terminology that is now versus then. But yes. what's most important to you? Like, how can I make these big decisions of where I work, where I live, who I go out with, and not have to like have a whole conundrum every single time? I realized it was like, okay, what is the most important thing to me? So that's how it all started. And so this was pre my days at Zappos, pre delivering happiness. And then through that time, working with more organizations and leaders. And when I say leaders, I mean, at every level, like we're all leaders, right? So when leaders get that sort of light bulb in their own way, then that's when actual change happens. So that was my inspiration, just like figure out my own life and, and see what that means. And I was like, oh, wait, this can actually be scaled to organizations and teams. And we can actually make this world a happier place. You know, like all those collegiate type of thoughts and mentality became real to me from a scientific basis because of positive psychology and all that. But that's kind of the trajectory of what I've seen of what actually makes change happen in the world. That is really interesting. <laughs> and I told you earlier that I've been aware of your work for over 10 years or around 10 years or so now, but I don't think I was aware of what took place in sort of like early career and everything like that for you until I was prepping for our conversation. And now what I'm really curious about when you were going through all that for yourself and you're sort of having this inward look, do you remember what any of those realizations were for you? Or you said just a moment ago, Hey, I, I had to figure out what were the priorities for me or what was most important for me. Do you remember what you arrived, any of the pieces that you arrived at at that time? Yes. Short answer. Like probably because I had to write this freaking book and <laughs> I, had to go back to I was like, wait, what are those stories again? Now you're prepared for this conversation. Yeah. I was like, wait, what Good happened? thing you had to write a book. Oh my gosh. Not the easiest way to go back into having reflections and memories, but yeah. there was a, two things. There was the inward one and the outward one. Mm -hmm. So the inward one was very like existential, like, wait, what the freak am I doing right now? Like, why does this even matter? Yeah. And what matters to me? That turn point, like that turning point for me was when I saw all these people suffering with the layoffs, with the 9-11, with my dad getting diagnosed with cancer. It's all yeah. like, wait, that's kind of crazy because I've been spending all this time trying to work, work, work and make myself established. I have a status for myself, but I'd actually rather be spending time with the people I love. 
So that turning point was very significant because then I knew I was making decisions on number one, the people I love and care about, including humanity in the world. So that was a big one. And then, so that was inward, like what my own purpose is, it's for serving people, but being true to myself, number one. Being that authentic self is realizing this is how I'm going to make decisions. And then there was the external side, which is what am I going to do with this sort of aha moment of like, yeah, I want to be true to myself. So what am I do with it? And then it's the realization I can connect that to other people. Like, what is it that I was brought here for? What it meant like I'm passionate about or purposeful for? And then at that moment, it was like, well, I don't need necessarily need to be in corporate America or corporate world anymore. I want to actually want to understand how this new realization comes out in the work I do, whether it's passion stuff with art or creativity or within the business realm, which has a lot of creativity too. Yes. So that's when I realized that's the extension of number one, I had to be true to what was going on inside, get my values straight, get my priorities straight, make my decision-making and clout, like all this craziness in my head, sink into groundedness. And then extend that to others because I realized that was my number one value is people. And how do I have those relationships with others? You know, what's really interesting to me is it, I heard you say something earlier too about as you had some of these realizations and then you started doing other different types of work, you started seeing that some of the science actually supported what you had sort of realized for yourself too. As well. And I think that's been a bit of a conundrum for me over the years. If we go back 20 plus years ago or so, that was, I very much felt that I worked for a number of organizations. Well, I'm really glad for the experiences. Some of these were considered to be great organizations from people's standpoint. And yet, being in them and around them, it still felt very non human and like I couldn't be myself at work. And then later on, I had a similar experience where as I started understanding what the research and science says, it's like, oh, no, no, I wasn't totally way off base. So I'm curious what's behind that for you as you were going along on that journey, as you started work with Zappos and other organizations later on, what did that trajectory look like for you and what became apparent? Yeah. As you were sharing your story, I feel like we're totally living parallel tracks because here I was going in my whole like, wait, what does this all mean? I thought I had to figure out for myself. And then I came across this whole body of research and the science like of like, wait, there's happiness science and positive psychology. Like this yeah. was all huge and new. And this was when I started like collaborating with Tony at Zappos and all that stuff and implementing that in an organizational level. But that was that moment of like light, bing, like, wait, I don't have to do all the research. I don't have to make myself the guinea pig of everything. I actually can learn from this body of work. So the top things that came from that sort of awakening was there's actually scientific levers that actually focus on not what's wrong with us per se, but actually what's right with us. And to be honest with what's wrong with us, but actually be recognizing that, oh, okay, these are the things that can help me get up in that lever. So senses of autonomy or control, senses of progress, growing, developing, learning, a sense of connectedness, a huge one, especially right now when we're all mm-hmm. on Zoom and all that, like who am I connected to? And I would like to do that in my workspace, ideally, not just at home. And then ultimately having that higher purpose. And that word is being used a lot these days, but really what am I doing beyond myself? What's that connection to this greater thing called the world and the universe? So when I 
came across that, I was just like, what? Like, those are the levers that are scientifically proven. And it became a tool, like being able to say, oh, these are the things that I can remind myself on a daily basis. Like, what are the things that I can have more control of? So that's like a personal decision not to go back to the corporate world, but to actually do crazy, passionate things and start my own company, co-founded something with Tony all those things. And then I like the progress stuff. Like, how do I feel like I'm developing in life as a person, not just a, a worker or employee, mm-hmm. making sure my connections are meaningful, not how's the weather or who won the baseball game today. I mean, those are super important, but there's layers within that, that get us really deeply grounded with each other. And of course, that higher purpose that we all hear so much about, but having the ability to feel it on a day-to-day basis was what that journey became of when I was like, wow, this is happening. This is already existing in the world. How do I connect myself to that? So that became like the hero's journey. If you're familiar with Joseph Campbell's work. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, and it also leads to another question that I was really interested in asking you. And from your perspective, you're talking about purpose, which is over the last 10 years become sort of a buzzword, like engagement and all of the others that have have followed. What do you feel like are some of the biggest or what have you seen are some of the biggest things that stop people from feeling that sense of purpose, that sense of connection to purpose? What are some of those biggest restrictors, if you will? Yeah, I think, I mean, this is a little too basic in the sense like as human beings, we're resistant to change. And then I'm a huge like fan of science and, and nature. And so I geek out on all that stuff and how systems happen in the world with animals. So like a Darwin thing is it's not the smartest or strongest that survive. It's those that are most able to adapt. I'm paraphrasing here because he has a whole body of work. But so that I think is where that comes. So natural selection in some ways, like the animals and the ecosystems and the bio systems that survive are those that adapt. And we are not as humans equipped for that naturally. Whereas Nature, animals are usually more equipped, but either that or they die, (laughs) right? So I think that's the biggest barrier within ourselves. Like we're so, when we get into our comfort zone of what works, it's so hard to change it because like, why would we want to move away from something that feels safe? And this goes again, back to the prehistoric ages. Like we just want to survive, like our brain works that way so that we're, when we're primal, I just want to survive. I'm just hitting this, you know, mid cortex versus my prefrontal because I don't want my prefrontal to make decisions because I'm just in this freeze mode of life. So I think it goes back physiologically. It goes back. I don't want to be eaten by a lion, but in these days there's not many lions going on, at least where I live. I don't know where you're living. right. Now. <laughs> you know, it's pretty crazy out here in you know, <laughs> central Washington. To be clear, I also don't want to be eaten by a lion. <laughs> There's different types of lions out there. Yes, there are. (laughs) But basically that really primal desire to protect ourselves is there. But that's why I think we're at a different stage now. We're more elevated in, and we have the luxury of being able to talk about these things that even my parents didn't have. They were trying to put food on the table. And I'd love to hear about yours as as ancestors as well. It's like, now we have the luxury of like thinking about these more bigger elevating things that can transcend this survival mechanism because this sense of purpose that we know that we were born into, it was in us when we came out of our mom's womb. 
whether or not we tap into that because there's so much resistance out there is our choice. It's hard as hell, but it's our choice to go back into it. Hmm. I thinking about that and it being your choice, mm-hmm. I have, well, it sort of makes me think about a, about a few other things too, at the same time. And, and one of the other pieces, I know that even though you're doing organizational work right before we got on here, really hit the recording button, we were talking a little bit about how it can't be driven 100% from the organization side to you know, show up and be able to just expect that the organization is going to 100% allow you to just be yourself at work. It has to be driven from both sides in many different ways, which means there has to be work done from the individual as well as the organization in order to create a, I'm going to call it a situation that yeah. allows people to show up and be their whole selves at work, yeah. which is something both you and I geek out about. So I'm curious, how do we distinguish between what are some of the pieces that we really need to do for ourselves yeah. versus what organizations can do? I love these questions. I'm really glad that <laughs> we're talking again after all these years of like you following this because it's such a current pressing question to answer, especially right now. Sorry to be like that asshole that says, you got to read my book because I, <laughs> that, I don't want to be that person. The book is uh, great though. It's worth a read. I will say that <laughs> I, I read it and I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, thank a you. breakdown for us. What so, are some of the lines? Before the asshole of like me being saying like, oh, as I say in my book, that's the line that's like hard for me to say. because, But basically the separation between what's internal and external. So I kind of touched upon this before. So I'm calling what we are in right now, the adaptive age. Like this is Darwinian. This is like, basically we've gone through all these eras of generations of being farmers and then industrialists and then technologists. And then now I feel like we're in the adaptive age. Mm -hmm. So what that means for me is like, let's control what we can within and embrace and adapt to, to what we can control. So that to me is the separation between inner and outer of organization. So the inner is like, and as I referenced in the book, it's a lot about purpose and values. And I go through all these exercises of understanding what really, as you can like basically guess, those will evolve over time, but at least putting a stake in your ground, on our ground, in everyone's ground and saying, hey, I've done a bit of work in understanding what that is. So I can draw that line in the sand. This is what means everything to me. I'm super curious. Give me an example of one or two of those exercises that you're referring to. Yeah. So one of them... First one is the happiness heartbeats one. Like as you can imagine, like on a heartbeat monitor, the metaphor for that is that that's life. And even though we're, I, my company is called Delivering Happiness, this book is called Beyond Happiness, it's knowing that those highs and lows will come. And so as an exercise, what it's really simple, it's basically story tell your own life and identify those highs and lows in your life from childhood. And it's really important to include the whole thing. And I actually encourage people to not just think about work. I think about life because it's pretty much time we spend on earth. It is mutually yes. dependent on work. Right. Work integration. Yes. Yes. So when you map those things out, just think top highs, top high moments, three on each side, and then three low moments. And then go to each of those moments and ask yourself, what values were there or not there? What people were there or not there? Asking those questions, just kind of dissect it, knowing the highs are as just as important as your lows in determining what that sustainable happiness is. That's what true wholeness is all about. 
So that's an exercise that we really encourage. Like one of the first things to do is like, let's just, before we talk about anything else, go into your life, your own journey. And that reflection is really cool. And then the other one is what I call the wheel of wholeness. So if you can imagine a whole bunch of like pieces in the pie, one of the things that in organizations that I work with that don't have yet, but are working there is to understand not just the employee life cycle, like, oh, I'm going to like recruit and then train and then manage it. And then they're going to leave. It's more about the holistic life cycle. So the wheel of wholeness is about these puzzle pieces or these pie pieces that are important to every individual. So it's not just about how they are as employees, but as human beings. So the pie pieces are about not just like, are you feeling gratified or satisfied with your work? It's like, where are you financially? Are you feeling sound? Because that affects your psychological state and whether or not you're productive at work. Because if you're freaking out about, I'm not getting enough, then you're not going to be as productive kind of thing. And then the other pieces are, where are you mentally? Where are you emotionally? Where are you relationally with people in and outside of work? And where are you spiritually or purposefully? That kind of thing. So that expands it in a way that we're looking at employees as human beings, knowing that psychological state will affect any time they move into the work state. So those are a couple exercises that we like to do just because it gives you a snapshot. And then once you check in again, you know what to dial up, dial down and things to work on. I appreciate you sharing those in detail. That's super helpful. I also recognize that I diverted you from the original question that I asked as well, (laughs) which was where, and we can go back to it as well, because you were on a really good trend line there. You were starting to tell me a little bit more about where is that line in terms of how can we think about like, what is the company responsible for or organization responsible for versus what am I responsible for? So I'm curious, any other thoughts that you have on that too? Yeah. So I think this, we've come to a place like people talk about future work all the time and it's kind of like, what does that mean? So <laughs> yes. thank you for saying that out loud. Yes. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay. Like that sounds like a, a, like engagement or something at this yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. Tell me how that matters to me. But I really feel like this whole concept of this future work of AI technology and displacement and reskilling and all that, it just got totally ushered in in quick form in 2020 without us knowing it and the future mm-hmm. work. So basically, those decisions need to be made of who's responsible for what. And what I say in the book, I call it not just accountability, but co-owned accountability with each other. And what I mean by that, and I know accountability sounds like uh, what a, it's another one of those words everyone's sick of hearing it. But I'm thinking about accountability in villages. You remember back in the day, like. When we're on villages, no one was designated certain teams or certain roles. We were all accountable for each other because we wanted to survive. Fast forward to how dolphins operate or orcas operate. They're all accountable for their roles because one dolphin needs to swim underneath and like get all the fish up so everyone else can eat. And those things are ingrained in a natural way. So what I mean by co-owned accountability is whatever position you're in, it's just so important this is where the choice comes in too, like to have these conversations, to have that sense of like, wait, what am I bringing to the table? What are you bringing to the table? And how are we going to work on this together? Because even organizations that say from the get-go, like we're going to give you an amazing employee engagement and all these perks and all that stuff. At the end of the day, it's really who you work for and who you work with. It's like your team that you really need to have that really honest, transparent communication with. So 
in some ways, it depends on the team and the organization work with. But what's really helpful to the conversations in terms of that line, the question that you're originally asking, yeah. is when you come to the table knowing that this is my, this is who I am, my purpose, my values. And if this engagement or this team is not honoring that, why would I continue to do that? I mean, it's easier said than done for certain times and people, but that's kind of where I draw the line, like in terms of, do I want to live in a life of integrity and being true to my authentic self? One of the pieces of really simple logic that I always go back to is if you don't know what those are for yourself, it's yeah. really difficult to ask for them. It's really difficult to have those types of conversations that you're talking about. If I don't understand what I stand for, if I don't understand what I value the most, yeah. it's really difficult for me to articulate that to someone else. You know, another really interesting thing, and I'm curious your opinion on this too, but we've found, and I'll give you a little bit of preface or context, a lot of what the work that we will do is we'll help people make career changes, often what people consider to be the type of sort of unicorn career changes where they're transitioning to a role or organization or situation that does allow them to be so much more of themselves. But part of the magic behind that is that they first have to understand what it is that they want. Now, here's, here's the part that's really interesting to me is that I find that in many, many, many situations where people think it's impossible to create a situation where you can be more of yourself and people look at that and go, yeah, yeah that, that organization's not going to do that. Or like that boss is never going to say yes to that. But so many of those situations, if you know what it is that you stand for, you know what aligns with your purpose, if you know what you aligns with what you value, then when you can articulate it and do ask for what you want, you can usually find some resolution that is in alignment. Yeah. So I'm curious, what's been your experience on that? First of all, I love what you all do. I love what your organization does towards Thank this. Thank you. We feel like we're you know, we're cut from the same cloth, basically, in terms of what we're trying to strive for, because, you know, who wants to wake up unhappy and sleep unhappy? Because this is our time. Yes. And be the best we can. So love that. And you're totally right. It's not easy. And it's not to say that the work that we are talking about is easy at all. But the question is, is it worth the effort if it means waking up every morning and being able to feel and say, look, I don't have to turn on the news or I don't have to like go on my feed and I have to see what's going on in the world. I am grounded within because I know my purpose and values. And I know that's easy to say, but like that's why these exercises that I introduce or talk about in the book are so important because at least it's a line in the sand of understanding that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, of course, it's not easy to implement. But one of the things I would say, having been on both sides of the table of hiring and trying to be hired, when someone comes to the table with that sense of who they are, what they believe in, if I put my employer hat on, I'd be like, this person is who I need. Like that sense of like, that's resistance to the chaos around us. That's a sense of like, no matter what's going to happen, I'm resilient. I'm already grounded with myself. So no matter what, like with your company, if I, if I agree or align with your purpose and values as a company, I'm all in because I already know that within me. So from both sides, you can kind of see it's kind of like it lights up and it becomes a gauge coming to an interview. It's not like, oh, I hope I can impress this person. It's just like, <laughs> yes. who I am. And the other person, if I was that employer, I'd be like, holy shit, like I want to learn from you too. Like that's the kind of engagement I think people, your audience 
would probably be amazing at in changing how we like work <laughs> in life and how we show up. Well, and I think you made such a great point too. Like when you're grounded in yourself in all of those ways that you had mentioned, when you're in that interview type situation or that type of conversation, it's not about, oh my goodness, how can I impress this person so that I get hired? Instead, it becomes much more of a real partnership type of conversation has been my experience, but it doesn't happen without that work. And it doesn't happen without that understanding. You can't just like fake that conversation. Right. Exactly. Not well, at least. (laughs) Not well. And it shows, I mean, you know, and then some people are naturally more introverted and all that, but I think that if that other person, like if that person that's looking to interview you or interviewing you doesn't see your authenticity and how genuine you are being about things that matter, then it's kind of like, well, you benefited from that because you automatically know this is not going to be a good fit anyway, Mm -hmm. because who wants to show up to that every day at work? So it is a very like exchange, a Mm -hmm. partnership, as you said, of people and personalities and what it means to be heard and be able to do therefore good work and progress and be connected and feel both ends are being like are benefiting from that social contract, but in a work relationship. So I have two more questions. Let's be honest. I really have like 72 more questions, (laughs) but we only have time for maybe two more or so. So if you want to call me at midnight, Scott, we can talk then. Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) Careful what you wish for. You might get that midnight call. The hardest of the hitting questions first, how often these days do you do spontaneous dance parties? Like I've been, (laughs) I've been seeing that on various forms of your bio for like 10 years. So how often does that happen nowadays? Well, right now, if you're down to do one, Oh, I, like we can, I wish I would have like thought to like cue up some music or something. I'm looking around and say, we can just do it without music. Like silent dance party. I try to do it. Well, I don't try because it's spontaneous, but it happens probably <laughs> yes. once a day, but ideally more. <laughs> Ideally more. That's that's fantastic. So here's my other actual question too. Well, you know, I'll, I'll preface this a little bit too. We have many people in various leadership roles in all kinds of organizations listening in our audience. And also many of these same people are thinking about their career and their life for themselves. So I would love to ask, what advice would you give them on two different fronts? You know, thinking about someone who is potentially going to make a career change and wanting to find the type of situation where they can be much more of themselves at work. And then simultaneously on the other side of that too, where they are potentially having an impact on an organization mm. to allow that and enable that and make that a part of reality. Yeah. I love that question because I think most of the world is going through right now. Like, <laughs> yes, various stages of that. <laughs> yeah, like COVID's uh, like kind of on its way out and people aren't showing up to work saying like, no, I don't think I need that anymore. So it's really interesting because the conundrum is you would have thought that everyone's like chomping at the bit to get a job again, but people are like, wait, mm, I don't think so. Like that doesn't fit my needs of raising my child or like the work hours are not good. You know, there's an interesting play going on between who, like where the scale is between corporate and and basically being a human being and wanting to work. So I think two things come to mind. One of them is as you're thinking about these career shifts, not to sound like a broken record, purpose and values, just do those exercises really quick and like root yourself in that. It's actually really eye-opening. Most people think they know them, but 
when they do the exercise, they're like, oh, wait, I didn't prioritize that right. And then the next thing is, as you're entertaining these different kinds of scenarios, there's two questions I would ask in these scenarios, like, what's in it for me? What's in it for all? And when you're able to answer both of those questions, then you have a very clear answer to, wait, because if your purpose and value is you know, grounded, then you understand, okay, this is what's in it for me. And then by answering what's in it for all, then that answers more of that purpose, the we thing instead of the me thing of what is what does it serve other people? What does it serve customers? What does it serve society? All that stuff. So when you have those two questions in mind as you go through these changes and it lights you up because, oh, wow, it actually serves my purpose. It serves like I want to do something greater for society and community, but it also serves me too because I know I need X, Y, and Z things because that's what I believe in. So that's sort of a a simple like kind of mental model to think through and doing these shifts. The other thing I would remind, and it's also a big part of like why I wrote the book, I use this metaphor about greenhouses. And we, you know, it's kind of like when you're in a plane, I don't know when's the last time you were in a plane, but you know, in. I just got back from a month long trip. So we took a bunch of different planes. So. Oh, awesome. So you remember that routine uh, before COVID. So, you know, the oxygen mask that fall, like that, that whole thing. We're so used to hearing that, like, put it yours on first before putting on anyone else. But we don't really practice that in life. So the greenhouse metaphor is basically, we're so wanting to help. We try to grow and nurture other greenhouses, but sometimes we forget to tend to our own. And so I think that's a big thing about considering these shifts is to have those two things in coexistence, making sure like you tend your own greenhouse, knowing that you want to grow and nurture others as well. And it could be anyone, like be your friends, your family, your kid, all of the above, global society, whatever it is, change the world. You know, all these things fit in the society, in the realm of the other greenhouse. Just make sure you're tending your own as you're doing that for others. I very, very much appreciate that. And the book that you so kindly wrote in preparation for this interview is Beyond Happiness. And I really enjoyed it immensely. And I want to hear something that struck me, actually copied and pasted it, wrote it down. And I thought it was really, really great. You had written someplace in there. I can't remember what chapter it was in, but when life gives us lemons, companies in survival mode, just pass out the lemons until they run out. And if they're thinking slightly longer term, they'll actually build a lemonade stand. But if they're adapting and thriving, they'll use the seeds to plant more lemon trees so everyone can have a stand of their own. And I just thought that was so useful as not just a way to think about part of what you're talking about in the book, but just as a mantra for how this whole set of topics that we've been discussing works. So I really appreciate that. And I will probably quote that in the future someplace else too. I love it. Thank you for the conversation. I really appreciate it. I selfishly, you have been on a mental list of mine of people who, you know, 10 years ago, I'm like, I would love to get to know her. (laughs) She seems fantastic. And I will say that you are just as delightful to talk to as I had hoped, maybe even more so 10 years ago. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Maybe it takes that 10-year incubation for it to happen. But well, that, that could be, but I'll take it. You've probably already guessed that many of the people who listen to our podcast are looking to make a change, looking to make a change to a role that better fits, looking to find your ideal, looking to take a good role or good opportunity that you already have and turn it into something that you're thriving in. Whatever you need to do in order to find that or turn something that's great into a much, much better situation, you first have to know exactly what you want. 
And figuring that out is the hardest part. It really is. My answer to this difficult problem has been years of research and experiments. All of this resulted in our book, Happen to Your Career, an unconventional approach to career change and meaningful work. And if you're looking to declare a direction for your career, at whatever stage you're at, the very best place to start is reading the book. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it any place where books are sold. And an even better fit for you, since you're listening to this podcast, might be the audiobook. I would encourage you to start listening to it right now. You can get it on Audible and other places where audiobooks are sold. And if you haven't already, click subscribe on your podcast player so that you can download this podcast in your sleep and you get it automatically, even the bonus episodes every single week, sometimes multiple times a week. Until next week, adios. I'm out.